0: La, la, la,
1: la. i am sammy ray i'm currently in brooklyn new york where i live and i front the eight person brooklyn based band sammy ray and the friends
0: there ain't nothing to rattle all about there's no one in particular who's making you move I, I, on a one get together
2: I have to give you many high fives as a, a person who for many years led an eight-piece band our Dust Bowl Revival Cruise more like seven these days because that's okay. more reasonable maybe
0: yeah but there is sure. a
2: magic to an eight-piece band yeah symmetry. I
1: don't I'm not I'm yeah it is the symmetry I'm not quite sure what it is it's funny because we don't often stop and think about the f- that we're literally an octet and so we joke and we're like yeah think about a quintet plus a trio think about two quartets you know it's really it's really big but there is some magic to it and at this point you know we're just like a whole bunch of siblings and it's a giant family where nobody looks like each other
0: Well,
2: okay then. I almost got so lost in the feeling there, I didn't do the intro. My name is Zach Lubiton, your friendly host of the show on the road, where every week or every other week, when I'm not getting stuck in the Phoenix airport like I was last week playing my own music, I try to bring you my favorite artists, songwriters, and band leaders from around the world. And our episode today features one of the best young band leaders that exists on Spaceship Earth right now. Look, I have a special respect for someone like Sammy Ray. When we were both in our early 20s, we decided to do something kind of crazy. We both got out of college, and we were doing other types of jobs. She was waitressing, I was working in advertising, and you know what? We both started dreaming about starting a band. And when you're young and inspired and a little bit ignorant, maybe you're waiting tables like Sammy, and you're dreaming about starting that perfect jazz pop band that no one has ever seen before. Common sense and basic economics tell you to start small. Get a few like-minded musicians in a room. Work and work and work on your best songs. Maybe try packing out a few local bars. Put out some radio-ready singles on the internet. Make a music video or two and then see what happens. But Sammy Ray and I, well, we kind of had to do our own thing. We did the complete opposite. I wanted to combine what Benny Goodman and his orchestra had in the 1940s with what Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band had in the 70s and 80s. And Sammy... Well, when she moved to New York City, she began trying to harness the open-minded, countercultural energy of Broadway musicals with the slinky funk pop of 1970s AM radio gold and her own rapid-fire poetic style to create a massive sound that could only be made with three singers and two saxophones and a fearless, seasoned rhythm section going full speed behind her. Now, they are early on in their journey, but so far the response from listeners around the world is undeniable. And if there's one thing totally undeniable that I've learned in my 20 years playing in bands, it's that when a big old brass band is going full speed, there is nothing that can stop them. Speaking of big old brassy bands, my group Dust Bowl Revival will be playing up in Northern California this weekend, September 18th at the Mountain Soul Festival in Santa Cruz and a very special outdoor show at the Hot Monk Tavern in Novato on the 19th. Please check it out, dustbowlrevival.com. And here she is now, the one and only Sammy Ray. Can you introduce us to the crew that usually goes out with you?
1: Yeah, for sure. So we are eight all the time members. And if I have to do it quick, I say Max and Myra, Kellen and Kaya, Will and Seabass, Sammy and JQ. And so uh, Max is a, plays synthesizers and tenor saxophone. Max is from L.A. Uh, Kellen plays alto saxophone. Kellen is from the great state of Alabama. Um, Kaya and Myra sing backup for us and dance and kind of share the front person role I guess and they are uh New York City born and bred. JQ is our bassist, he's from Miami. Um Sebas is our drummer, he's from Virginia Beach. And Will is our guitarist and keys player. He's from Connecticut and I am the front person and I'm also from Connecticut.
2: (laughs) Yeah, the venue choices and or uh, experiences that you probably had as a kid when you tried to start writing songs and performing were probably slim, but you, I think, drove yourself to do it from a pretty young age, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I didn't necessarily grow up in a heavily musical household. Like, my dad played guitar in high school and college on and off. So there was always a guitar around, but... They had me kind of young, so before 10, I thought that music was like White Snake and Led Zeppelin and Ozzy and like Twisted Sister and all that, which ACDC, Kiss, which is great music, don't get me wrong. Um, but then when I was 12, I started to get into like Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band and the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and Fleetwood Mac. And I started to kind of understand the craft of putting music and lyrics together, the, the art of songwriting. So i started doing that when i was like 13 honestly and i played my first show at this little indie venue that was all ages in connecticut when i was 15 and it was me at a grand piano which i'm sure was something to behold and then i came to new york when i was 18 and i came actually to study to be a teacher to get my teaching license. And after a semester and a half, I was like, I don't know what the hell's going on. And now I'm in New York and I was getting all these musical opportunities. So I actually left school at 19 and moved to Brooklyn. And then I was like full throttle in the city, doing the thing, trying to find people to play with.
2: I always joke with my wife that it seems the more I research it, that the people who are truly successful in this life are all college dropouts, which makes me feel bad that I graduated with honors with creative writing, you know, University of Michigan.
1: What's the matter with you? I should
2: have dropped out like right at the last moment, (laughs) just so I could like be in the cool kids club.
1: In the the cool kids club. Um, It's funny. I mean, I think when it comes to music, particularly with songwriting, or if you want to do what I want to do, like, or what I wanted to do, you kind of go to college for the sole purpose of making connections to the future yeah. of your industry. You know, like you have it or you don't have it, and that's not to say that you can't teach somebody to be a better musician. You absolutely can. I'm not discounting academia in a, in a whole, but a lot of you know a lot of the folks in my band, a lot of the people I run with are like Berkeley guys, and they're like, dude, you know, I had it. I just made connections with the future of my industry, and and I think it even like benefited me in a way because I was already on the scene for two years by the time that everybody was in my band who did a four-year program like had graduated you know Mm -hmm. and and, you know by that age I was making connections with the future of my industry and running with that same crowd now we joke and we'll be at an open mic or whatever and people are like did you go to Berkeley?" and I'm like oh yeah and they're like when I'm like oh the year Seabass was there and I just joke but yeah, I mean, it's it's it was definitely um, a moment for my family, right? And there was this whole, you're taking a break to screw your head on and you'll go back, right? And I was like, yeah, for sure, but. Very soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't think they're holding out for that hope anymore. I mean, I'm still paying off my student debt from a year and a half, so.
2: And I know you guys just put out this uh, really cool EP, Uh, Let's Throw a Party. But uh, I want to jump back real quick to the 2018 EP, The Good Life, which kind of kicked it all off. And um, honestly, the song Kick It To Me is so cool to me because it's obviously taken off 8 million streams, but it's like six and a half minutes with like a jazz odyssey at the end. I love when people actually give... Experimental big songs, a chance, you know. Uh, I, mean, you know what? Thank you.
0: I know we used to have a lot of bad days. My stomach got to hurting in the worst way, singing a blues all on my in a dark room. Nobody there, all on in a dark room. But nowadays, we we're told,
2: I think, as songwriters that you know, anything over three and a half, four minutes, it's like, well, it's going to have to go somewhere in the back of the record or uh, no one's going to play it on, uh, you know, any sort of AAA radio or, you know, it's going to be something that's too much for people to process in this distracted era that we're in. But it's not always true, right? I think like people really like to dive in to deep songs. And I, I am dropped into this world that you put us in this song of those early days when you're playing these empty clubs you got that sinking feeling in your stomach that nobody's gonna show up no one's gonna support my art uh and then you start kind of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and I think that's why we all do this why we keep performing when a few more people start showing up we start seeing our abilities get better and uh tell me about those early days when you first started performing in New York
1: um Yeah, for sure. I want to quickly mention something interesting about the Kick It To Me outro that you brought up. So there's the single version that came out first and like kind of went bananas and had a little spike. And then when we put out the EP, Kick It To Me, the extended version is the last track on that record. And what I wanted to do was in that Odyssey space, essentially the rhythm section is vamping, but the horns and the background vocals are quoting the hooks from every other tune on the EP so they're singing little moments of the previous songs on the ep Hmm. and i wanted to just kind of like bring it all home as if we had like gone on a journey and we were reflecting very sergeant pepper of you thank you very much yeah very wings very elo um and then for some reason that ended up being the version that kind of went bananas which i was super surprised about um but yeah that's cool i thought that we were really taking a big risk there and, and that's the version people liked but Anyway, you had asked about early New York.
2: Yeah, just those first few shows where you weren't sure if this was actually gonna work. You know, people just discovering you. And look, we've all had those heartbreaking moments where you put a lot of time in and nobody comes to see you, you yeah, know? Yeah.
0: yeah, for sure. I get it and it gets better every day. I didn't think it was a good look. And I mean honestly, the good life
1: is is half of a love song to New York and half of a like breakup song to New York, even though I knew that I was like stuck with her. That was my first I made that in my first year in New York. And so when I got there when I got I went to Manhattan College in the Bronx, so I'm up at like two forty second and Broadway up in like ass Bronx. And it took me forever to get down to anywhere in Midtown and then I was like part time on campus, but I was working a waitress job and a nanny job or whatever. And by random happenstance, I was like singing around one of the restaurants I was working at and one of these patrons was like, oh, I used to be a bartender at the Cotton Club. And, and she's like a million years old. And she was like, I could get you an interview with the or an audition with the owner. And I'm like sick because in my brain, I'm like the Cotton Club, the Cotton Club, right? Which in reality has since it's, you know, major heyday of Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Armstrong and Billie Holiday and all that has changed names and management like five times. And yeah. the current Cotton Club, which may not even still be open, is uh, essentially a, an old um, it was a car dealership. <laughs> and they put, they put a stage in there and it was, it was nice enough. Right. But that was like my first gig was me every Friday going to sing jazz standards in a black dress for like a hundred bucks at this, you know, cotton club as it was in 2014 or whatever. And I thought I really didn't think that was it because it was the first time that I was getting paid to sing. And I was good at bringing standards. And I was like, cool, I'll cruise the wedding and like restaurant, New Year's Eve party circuit for a second. Right. But I found the straight ahead jazz community, especially as a female in the industry, it was just like problematic and not the one for me. Like it was the only job that I had a strict dress code at. That was like, you have to wear yeah. makeup, you have to wear heels, you have to wear a black dress. And I was right. like, okay. So I dealt for a little bit and then eventually just getting to that gig was too taxing and, and I wasn't enjoying college. So decided to leave. I moved to Brooklyn and then it was kind of just me forcing myself to go to open mics and like Rockwood One and Arlene's and stuff and just see kind of get a scope of what was going on in the scene. And after a while, you like see the same people play with different bands or whatever. And you're like, hey, let me take you to coffee. I really like the way you play bass or whatever. And I started striking up these relationships. And when we went in to make The Good Life and the first couple of gigs, I was quite literally like hiring the only bassist, the only drummer, the only guitarist, the only horn players I knew or whatever. And we made this record. And then through the course of making it, I formed relationships with people where they could bring it as hard or they could bring it harder, but like the vibe was better because I knew from the beginning that I wanted to imagine this like very familial, a large group, but that we all vibe together like a family, like a community. And so honestly, in the course of recording that EP, I ended up replacing folks and going back and retracking rhythm section and retracking horn overdubs and stuff. Um, And then we put it out. We played a couple little gigs. I remember playing uh, Rockwood Music Hall Stage One on a Wednesday at 7 p.m. Yep. for like eight people and uh-huh. a tip bucket, and it was a two rain wreck. Um, and then the next thing I knew, I quite literally, you know, with no idea of how to navigate the industry or how to promote a record or you know press or anything, Discover Weekly on Spotify went bananas with the feeling and then two weeks later went bananas with kick it to me. And then suddenly there was this demand for shows. And every Mm -hmm. time we would play something, it was like the, it was fuller and fuller and it was suddenly like primetime Friday and Saturday spots. And then the next thing we knew we had a manager and all these people that wanted to work with us. And, And we had this incredible run in 2019 where every single room that we played in New York and we must've played, eight shows in New York, but every time we played a show, we had to double the space in capacity and every single show was sold out. So suddenly it was like, holy shit, we got to get on the road, which is a whole new ball of wax and finances and stuff. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was it was great. We're relatively new to to touring, to be honest. We're pretty green to it. But yeah, Yeah, I just gave you you everything. My bad. I went from 2013. No, it's good real quick
2: well i just came in contact with your music recently and then realized uh we have the same agent basically so i was like i hit up our agent i was like and you haven't told me about her why (laughs) how dare you
1: yeah well now we know each other
2: yeah but i think what you guys are doing uh, is always encouraging to me as someone who likes to mash genres together uh, especially sure. roots music, folk music, and funk soul. Um, oh, yeah. And, you know, you guys, I think, come at it from a vocal standpoint first, almost. A lot of these songs, um, I mean, look, the new track that you just put out the cover, um, the Tears for Fears hit, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, it almost begins like an a cappella uh,
1: yeah.
2: rehearsal. You know, like you're in the bathroom just trying out something before a show. Yeah. And then it just builds and builds. And I love that type of stuff because it could exist in any space, right? For sure. Like you guys could play a sold out Brooklyn Bowl show or you could be playing that in the subway and people would gather around, you know, and I'm like in. Because I think sometimes when you have a big band, and I know this, you overdo it right, with showing off the muscle of the band, right? The horns, the drums, you're like, I want to blitz you so you pay attention. But the smaller moments are actually what bring people in for me. I'm realizing that 10 years in sometimes.
1: I think what we have going on is interesting. you mentioned the word kind of genre blending. Um, We all come from very different studies of music. Like we've got a hard rock guy and a world guy and a Latin groove guy and a straight ahead jazz guy. And the girls come from like gospel and Broadway and all this different stuff. So I think what's interesting about the project is because we have so many different musical influences we're not limiting ourselves to this is a song where the horns blow your face off because Mm -hmm. we're a band with horns. You know what I mean? Like we're also a band that happens to have three very, very powerful singers who are, you know, front people in their own right and could front their own projects. So I think the way that we kind of keep it fresh and the friend sound is the point is that not every song sounds the same. And we've kind of made this decision to not, limit ourselves to oh we're a folk band or we're a funk band or a jazz band or whatever is you know it's nice to like denim jacket slams you with like a really complex like double horn line and sometimes the horns are just pads and we have songs that the horns aren't even on and you know the girls i think that With me and the two girls, it's just this really ridiculous thing where we're all such good singers with, like, ears of steel that half of these BGV parts I don't even write. I'll just be singing, and Kaya sings the low, and Myra sings the high, and we just find it. But with that one, we knew that we wanted to give everybody wants to rule the world, like, an enormous capacity to grow. So we were like, okay, how do we start it off with the most space to grow possible? And we decided to just make it a... a, acapella thing that grows and we do it live too it helps that one of our singers has perfect pitch and she just like it's always nice pulls, it, pulls it, yeah she pulls it out of nowhere on stage and we sing and then here comes the rhythm section and we're in key so it's fun it's a nice there's another one that starts acapella cappella. Oh my god i can't remember what it is
2: well the song living room floor off the new ep also i think has um this very emotional vocal bass but i think your lyrics speak to the fact that you, you know, came from a place of difference and of maybe isolation, and you had to find your own community, your own home within um, this new world that you had to create, you know? And maybe um, it takes a bit of uh, hardship and, and, you know, feeling like you're the only one who has this vision to really like be able to, as you say, you know, I am my own house. I can live within this little world that I've created. Um, Uh. And that's really cool.
1: soon as it was a reflection on you know quite literally the apartments that were carrying me through my first couple years in new york and each verse is kind of a different experience that i had on the living room floor in one of the apartments i was living in and sometimes it's like you know your buddy's turning 21 and he didn't know what hit him and he wakes up in the morning and he's like you know, you have that special moment at dawn, or sometimes it's like somebody leaving you in the middle of the night and there's a fight and they're pouring wine everywhere. And sometimes, you know, uh, the, the last verse is like my dad came to visit me and I like made pad thai or something and he I was he was really impressed with whatever I made and he was like you didn't have to like get takeout like I know you can't afford that and I was like dude I made that in in my kitchen you know yeah so it's kind of this growth moment of it doesn't really uh, growth or uh, I guess recounting growth moments of it's n- it every chapter that you're in is going to end at some point and it's not always defined by like the house that you're in or the you know the time that you're in or the chapter that you're in it's defined by you and so if you can you know find enough peace with yourself and, and find home within yourself then like you're always taken care
0: of I will not-
1: And when I say it that way, it sounds super sappy, but if you listen, you listen to the song, you'll get it. You'll get it. Yeah, we're all in our own lane, and like we're our own house. It doesn't matter if what kind of apartment you're in. It doesn't matter if you're poor. It's like you got to take care of number one.
2: If you were a teacher now, if you kept going in your college experience, what would you be teaching? You think?
1: Oh, uh, I mean, I was studying early childhood ed, and. It's funny, the the like pedagogy and like early childhood ed are, have always been huge interests of mine. Um, and I actually have a whole previous life before like the Friends kicked off where I was a kids music player. Like I was entertaining mm. kids and like playing keys for a uh, kids, essentially pre-K curriculum. And then me and a friend formed a kids duo. And we did this like tour of all the Brooklyn public libraries and made a whole crap ton of money. But um, I joke with the band that everybody's fired in 10 years. And I want to be an iconic kid show host, a la like Pee Wee Herman or Mr. Rogers. Um, there you go. So I don't know. I think I would have, I would always regret if I hadn't tried this super atypical, throw yourself into the world, see what happens. I mean, like, I'm a queer woman in New York City and I want to front an eight person band and it's going to be badass. And we're going to do something no one's ever done before. And we're going to have two saxophones, right? Like there's the only it's the kind of thing where I, I would have regret it forever if I didn't just jump in and try it. Yeah. And I think if it hadn't popped off in, I don't know, a year and a half, I probably would have gone back to school and it would have been fine. I would have had a great time, you know, teaching babies how to talk and count or whatever but yeah. I, I I needed to give it a shot I had to you know
2: I think also uh, it helps being young and sometimes someone ignorant about like the craziness of having such a large band like yeah. if I would have oh, done yeah, this now know.
0: <laughs>
2: you know in my mid 30s I would be like why would I even attempt that but when I started Dust Bowl more like twenty war 25 i was like working in advertising and i would just like get like some small bar that would agree to put us on the board in pencil and i would just like yeah. get as sure. many people to show up as possible we would have like a 10 piece band in a bar Woo! that could fit 12 people you know like it, it was like we were the audience and the m- music
0: yeah
2: <laughs> you know and I think partially it comes from a place of insecurity. Like I have a bit of a, you know, like many of us, an imposter syndrome where I'm like, if I'm just playing these songs on my guitar, no one's going to care, but they're going to care if the trombone and the trumpet and the clarinet are going full speed. Cause you can't deny how awesome that feels. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I've never wanted to be a solo singer songwriter. No, no, never, never, you
1: know? never, never, I, I, I mean, you just spoke to something interesting. It's like, I don't, I don't think anybody could start a project with a million people in it at 30, because when I'm 20, all the people, my peers are 20 and they're all at the formative stages of their careers. So I remember these conversations that were like, we're going to play Rockwood on a Wednesday for a tip bucket, I'm going to pay you $25 a gig, I'm going to go in the hole 250 to pay you all because I'm going to make yeah. 40 bucks and tips. But in a year, we're all going to eat real well. Are you in or are you out? And a lot of the guys were like, I'm out. But a couple of them were like, I'm in. And we just formed those relationships over time. And now we're here is where I think if you're 30, and you're like, you know, I, I want to form a, a eight piece band. The trombone player is going to be like, well, here's my rate, like send me the charts. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it'd be very different, but yeah, I mean, absolutely. We, we, I don't think any of us knew what the hell was going on. And we were like, let's all get together on this, you know, it's like, like a startup. The, drummer, the drummers on the floor, dude, like to, what half of the, half of the rhythm section is standing on the floor. Cause these stages are so little. And it, it, you also spoke to this, like, you said insecurity. I don't know if I'm going to pry by by speaking to that again. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I never, ever wanted to do it solo. And I remember when I was 15, I played my first gig, and I played a couple gigs after that by myself, and I was so uncomfortable. And I, I don't know, it feels better to be a part of a collaboration. Yeah. And I wanted it to be a big project because I – you know, I kind of had a hard time making friends in like middle school and high school. And I had friends, but none of them are like still around. And so I wanted this, like, I was like, let me find all the misfits and like, put them at one lunch table and we'll have a great time. And, and that's what's, that's what's going on now. I mean, all I really did was say, I need a rhythm section. I need two saxophones. I need two backup singers. and, And then we just like found the people. But yeah, I mean, recently, now that we have some sort of visibility in the city or whatever, somebody offered me, it was like a friend and it was a pretty cool opportunity. Can you come do this set like four songs? But, you know, the setup and also the budget doesn't allow for you to bring the band. So I was like, whatever, let me do it solo. Uh And it was the first time I had ever played solo since like establishing this project. And I hated it. I hated (laughs) every second of it and the band was in the audience yeah and i was like just come up and like play unplugged it's so i is this feeling of every eye is on me
2: it's like you're naked Uh,
1: yeah it was like i was naked and being on stage with the band it's like i've never ever have i felt nervous never honestly there's an excitement there's like an adrenaline but i never have nerves because i know that if I go up, if I forget the words or whatever, if I look at Kellen the right way, he's going to solo for 32 bars. You know, it's, there's yeah. this trust there that it's, I trust myself less when they're not there.
2: Well, I think on this new EP also, you are diving into, uh, you know, some more sexy terrain, let's say, you know, uh, a song <laughs> like ja- Jackie Onassis, you know, it's, it's like a, it's a mature, uh yeah. Yeah, yeah. queer love song let's say yeah, um, yeah. and I love this idea of like a young girl looking up to Jackie O and being like man if I was around back in the day we would have had an affair like that's just
0: oh my god I, just yeah. real. I'm about to tell a story that I haven't yet about the most intelligent woman that I ever met she looked like Jackie on asses Top of a classes I'm doing my best just passing by I'm it's so
1: funny um my I went to an all-girls Catholic imagine that and How was that? it was exactly the way you think it was um abstinence only etc anyway it produces, <laughs> it produces really interesting young adults but I mean it was great you know I I'm a, I'm a better leader now as an adult because of my years there but any case, it's not the best place to have those sorts of feelings because you might get expelled and also you're deaf going to go to hell. So figure that out. So, I mean, it took me a really long time to write that song. And as much as it is a love song, it is also like a kinship song to womanhood. And, you know, some of the friends that I made there who for the first time, like taught me how to embrace my womanhood. It was the kind of place where it was like, this is what we do. Like, we produce strong female leaders, like powerful huh. women who can take care of their own. The comparison of Jackie O, pretty much always I'll come up with lyrics first, but for some reason I was just like in the shower one day and I was a bit boo And then I just came up, she looked like Jackie Onassis. And then I started uh-huh. thinking about, you know, who is Jackie Onassis? And she's just this like plain. Jane girl next door like fearless in the face of tragedy kind of lady and and so I was just thinking about those women in my life in that time period who didn't know what their friendship meant to me or who didn't know that I had crushes Mm -hmm. on them because they were just plain Jane and it all I kind of rolled them all into this really strong confident lady who doesn't really need to be consistently affirmed she just knows you know
2: let's say you run for office since the uh governor of new york just had to resign um
1: that was a tricky one i was not expecting that
2: let's just say by a quirk of history you know yeah Yeah. you become the new governor of new york sweet what would be the first like legislative push that you would put into the world? Like what would be the coolest law that you could impose oh, God. in New York?
1: Oh, wow.
2: Free fruit snacks for everyone under 10.
1: Oh my God. I love it. It's like, I or like hop- healthy fruit snacks. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I where you eat free under 10, uh, but every place is like that. Um, I think there needs to be a, I mean, I'm not president. I want to say universal health care system, but the United, the, the United States healthcare care system is one thing. New York City's health program is like not what it could be. I think that needs to be a lot better. I think okay. we need to fund the New York City public schools a lot better than we do. And I guess if I had to pinpoint it down to one cool thing I would do would be healthy lunches for all those kids and everybody eats free. Great. Yeah, that's what I would do. I'm sure if you gave me another 15 minutes and the right lighting to think about it, I would come up with something even weirder, but
2: it's just amazing how over and over again men in positions of power like don't get how inappropriate behavior eventually will become not yeah. okay. Like yeah, like they can't conceive that four, five, 10, 15 women are not going to speak out eventually, especially in these times. Like, which planet do you live on, bro? Yeah, like, no.
1: Like,
2: and like, it's funny, I,
1: like, I was, what the hell was I watching? I was watching Catch Me If You Can with Leo DiCaprio recently. Uh-huh. I don't know why, I had never seen it. And that movie probably only, came, that movie came out, what, like 20 years ago? And it's kind of set to take place 20 years before that. So we're talking about like 40 years in the past. And some of the dialogue is just like so misogynistic and so devastating. And this is true of kind of really all sorts of media that aren't as, you know, didn't come out in the last five years. And it's a shame because everybody's, Oh, well back in the day it was okay. Or "I, I, I could talk like that or women knew their place better in the past. And it's like, what the fuck, man? Like, first of all, for you to not have the, foresight to think ahead with the way that we're progressing. And second of all, for you to not see, I don't know, I'll I'll say this. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to harass all these women and then I'm going to go into a position of great visibility and they're all going to have access to my office phone number if they want it. Like, what's wrong with you? Yeah, You know, it's a mess, it's a mess. And I hate, I hate it with this, what you said about what makes you think it's not going to catch up to you. You know, it doesn't matter that it, it made more sense in the past. It doesn't matter that it was more acceptable. It doesn't matter that everybody was doing it. it. It it doesn't, it shouldn't have mattered. You didn't have a conscious then. So let's talk about that now, you know?
2: Yeah. I mean, there's movies that I've loved my whole life. Singing in the Rain is like a classic in our family, which we yeah. rewatched on our projector outside. Yeah, And me and my sister know every line of that movie. But mm-hmm. like for the first time, when we watched it a month or so ago, it like kind of was like disturbing at times, like how that sort of back in the day, like, all right, lady, you know, what you say doesn't matter, you know, and you're like,
0: oh, God, they're doing that like
2: every scene, you know, and we had no concept of that as kids. We just sort of like, oh, they're funny, you know, vintage stereotypes. And what a great time to be around you know
1: exactly. yeah it's I think we write off a lot to oh that was indicative of the times or it, it made sense at the time is okay well it's not behavior for you to model your life after now and it doesn't mean that it was okay when it happened it just means that society was having less of a conversation about it
2: well that song you open the EP with uh whatever we feel yeah. I think has this sort of light-hearted snark behind it you know where yeah. you're like look you know we're all doing what we want to do, but you can do you. It's almost just like kind of do it over there.
0: and <laughs> Don't
2: bother me with your bullshit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's
1: just like, listen, if you don't agree, I'm going to keep doing me. So like what, I don't give a shit, but, but keep doing you though. Cause that's important too, because I can only, I'm only, I can only do me if you're doing you as well, you know? And if I'm begging you for permission to do me, I got to give you permission to do you. And I think it that's another one of these tunes where I think that I want to be a storyteller and I think if I have stories to tell that made sense to me when I was younger like Jackie o was a you know tune that took me 10 years to write or whatever I should make these stories as accessible to as many people as possible and I think that goes uh-huh. in hand with my you know deep love of like, kids entertainment, I've just always had this fascination with it. And whatever we feel was one of those tunes where I was like, I want to get videos of like toddlers dancing to this song. And then when they're old enough to talk, they'll understand that. It's like, it's whatever you feel like you have to be yourself. You have to do you. And then actually on this most recent tour, we had a couple come up to us afterwards and they said, we found out about you because our daughter's pre-K was playing whatever we feel. And I was like, sick, I did it. So if you're 30 and you're trying to access it from whatever you're accessing it from, it makes sense to you. It's a song about self-expression. It's a song about believing in yourself. And it's a song about not taking yourself too seriously. But if you're four, it's got a great melody and it just keeps telling you to be yourself. And that translates as well. I think we underestimate kids a lot. Saw It Coming is a song that we put out a couple years ago that is in a similar vein where kind of the writing goal was let's make sure absolutely everybody can benefit from this song. So whatever we feel is very um, playful and childish in that way, uh, on purpose.
2: Tell you, well, it's like an updated version of...
0: It's your thing, do what you want to do. Yeah. I can't tell you <laughs> I can do. I
1: was actually coming from... I was deeply inspired by this. It's so funny. The song, Express Yourself. By the, the, it's like Charles Wright in the 57th Street men's drum something. Like the name of the artist online is this huge long thing. Express yourself. You know the song? Express yourself. Yeah. And the reason I love that song so much is it's like the only real lyric that he repeats is express yourself. And then everything else is just kind of like nonsense syllables that makes sense and he's doing a lot of like screaming and hooting and then there's just the horns are being silly and it was it was just like that that struck for me it's like yeah express yourself and if it's like dumb and quirky it it doesn't matter so that that is a reads and there's a tough
2: that is a tough name to fit on a marquee charles wright and the watts 103rd street rhythm band
1: (laughs) (laughs) i was close when i was like 57th street The watch the third street rhythm band. Doing, nice. Yep. There you go. Love
0: yourself. If you could
2: tell your young queer self at the girls school something now like if you could go back in time and give yourself a little advice what would you tell yourself
1: um you're gonna make friends you're not gonna go to hell uh your parents will always love you and you're one of those people that was born to make art so do that you know (laughs)
2: did they actually really tell you that you were going to go to hell Is that still a thing or is it implied?
1: It's Well, okay. If we're being transparent here, here's, here's to the, to the audience of your podcast, whoever they are. Um, it was abstinence only education. So my sex ed was not learning about how to have safe sex. It was, if you have premarital sex, you will go to hell. That's not what God wants. You have to wait for, your husband and the conversation of homosexuality was never directly like they weren't like today we're going to talk about homosexuality but what i do remember was this hard and fast because we had a really she was super she was crazy but she was super vocal like our sex ed teacher and religious life teacher or whatever And she was really big up on this, like, love the sinner, hate the sin thing, which is just Uh a mess. And it was kind of like, if somebody is gay and they believe that they're born gay, it is their moral obligation to abstain from romance and sexual encounters for their whole life, because that's what God wants. Mm. God wants men and women to be together. And so if somebody is born with attraction to the same gender, it's their moral obligation to not act on that and live a celibate life. Otherwise what? Otherwise they're sinning. And if you're sinning on purpose, you're going to hell. Mm. So it was it was like that. And we knew like there were girls in the school that knew about other girls that felt a particular way or whatever. And it was difficult to it wasn't something we could even talk to about each other because there was so much of a conversation about don't be bad. You know, like anything bad, like don't be late to class. Don't not do your homework. um, Don't talk back to the sisters. uh, Don't be late for mass and don't be into girls was just Mm. kind of implied. You know,
2: don't they know from previous experiments like prohibition in the 30s that when you tell people not to do something,
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Really doesn't work with human psychology. (laughs) Also, at a certain point, unless you're involving
1: unless you're involving the spiritual, and there's this aspect of if you if you screw up this life, it's gonna suck when you die. You know that helps. I think keep people in line.
2: I mean, even uh, Pope Francis said, "Who am I to judge?" That was like his
1: his famous quote a few years ago. So I love Pope Francis, and I will also say, Mm. "Mm man. But I'll also say, um, my Faith was a huge part of my identity in high school. And that was like my whole world was being Catholic. And in retrospect, I'm glad that I did all the mission trips and retreats and encounters and service groups and stuff. And because it made me a better leader and it also made me a free thinker, kind of it did the opposite work that I think they were setting out to do. And I think I dove so hard into that faith identity because everybody at my school that like had friends and was well liked by teachers was like a super duper church girl. Mm -hmm. And I was like, cool, I want friends and I want adults to like me. So I got into that. And then I think in the chaos of my brain and realizing that, you know, from the time I saw Aladdin, when I was 12, I had feelings for boys and girls. (laughs) Like when I got to high school and I was in that environment, that churning in my, in my head and what my parents didn't know and what the school didn't know and all that. I think I really gravitated towards the like order and rules to follow of a faith environment because it made me feel like so long as I'm doing these things, like I'm good, I guess. Like, right. right, I'm a good person. So I threw a lot of energy and a lot of time and a lot of years of my life into being a great Catholic. And do I look back sometimes and be like, I wish that once I had like snuck a drink or stayed out late or whatever. Like, absolutely. I don't have these like formative teenage rebellion stories. Right. But also it's all good because I love myself deeply now. And also I'm a rock star now. And also whatever. It made me a great leader and it and it it taught me how to um recognize sometimes and rules need to be broken. You know?
2: What do you think was the most rebellious thing you did as a young person? Shoplifting? <laughs> uh
1: maybe, yeah. Um I mean, I had a girlfriend nobody knew about. That was one. Oh shit. Yeah, that was a whole thing. Um And yeah, I probably maybe stole a nail polish from a CVS at some point oh, sure. i know that i did that i can't remember when but i'm almost certain that i did that
2: i never had any faith type guilt really imposed on me from my mom's jewish side my dad's catholic side yeah but i had this sense of like right or wrong that was like very deep yeah that like i could not even steal a pack of gum it would be like what would the shop owner?